Barclays. And this is our podcast about Christianity, culture, politics, religion, and our miscellaneous opinions. And this week, we're actually deviating a little bit from the normal uh, commentary because we realized this month marks 10 years for both of us being in mm-hmm. D.C. Incredible. A whole decade. It's pretty crazy. That's excluding our internships. So 10 consecutive years. Right. So in 2011, we both moved to D.C., Taylor from California, me from Florida, to do a kind of, I don't know, what would you call it? A fellowship pro- program? Professional development. Professional development, a year-long <laughs> program that matches with our uh, first big career jobs Mm -hmm. in the city and we met each other it's true for the first time in june of 2011 yes you said you moved up here in may yes i think i moved up here the last week of may because i started my job a little bit earlier than i started the fellowship i I started in like june 10th or something so how what was what was your move here like Drove with my dad from California in my 1997 Honda Civic. Wow, cross country. Yeah, four days we did it. Wow. It was a lot of fun. That's really cool with your dad. Yeah, it was fun. We uh, made some stops, listened to, I think a JFK biography. Wow. He read one of the books that we had to read for our program <laughs> out loud when wow. I was driving, and I read it out loud when he was driving. What did you do? That's great. I, um, let's see here. So I had to be here a little bit before the program and I, my mom had come with me a month before, uh, I was actually three days out of, uh, graduating from the university of Florida. Wow. My mom came up with me while I had my, uh, first week on the job orientation. I went to the, um, American Enterprise Institute black tie gala. It felt really fancy. I got this like long gown for it. And um, while I was at the orientation, mom was metroing around the city looking for, helping me look for a place to live, answering all these like Craigslist ads and looking at houses Uh, that had a room open. Finding a place. It was really tough. Um, Expensive, but we don't make much money. And you don't know these people you're moving in with. So my mom found this amazing old house on Capitol Hill and uh, my move up here we drove i drove the jeep up my parents followed me drove from florida um jeep full of all of my worldly belongings and it was a really hot summer week and this house did not have central ac it just had window units and i think my dad like almost like threw his back out trying to help me move up into this second story of this like 1890s row house on Capitol Hill with no air conditioning anyway. Wow. But it was, yeah, so we wanted to provide 10 reflections Yes. during this episode on our time in the D.C. area. I'll start with one. I think we, we share all of these in common, right? We agree on each one of these? Yeah, we, kinda, we okay. talked about them a little bit beforehand. So DC, the D.C. area, it's more Veep than House of Cards, <laughs> if you're familiar with these shows, these TV shows. Veep, of course, on HBO, wonderful comedy with Julia Louise Dreyfus, and then House of Cards of Net- on Netflix with um, canceled. What's his name? Kevin. What's his name? Yeah, He's I'm, so canceled we don't even remember. Yeah, I'm, I, for a good reason. He was sexually assaulting 
yes. minors. He should have been kid. And yeah, so it, you know, House of Cards, of course, this genius level pulls all the strings. You know, always in control, politician. Ten steps ahead on the chessboard. Right. With these devious plans. Right. Pull, yeah. And then Veep. Uh, <laughs> It's just like so. Veep's a comedy, but it's almost like this like chaotic responding to all of these like ridiculous scenarios that happen. Um, Like, uh, well, the one thing is like they have to scramble to find normal people to stay. To stand in a presser, press yeah, the press press conference. conference. And you've actually had to do that. (laughs) I actually (laughs) had to do that. Wait a minute. Scramble like hours before. Okay, we have two days. We have to get some normal, non-political people at this press conference. And I was like, wait a minute. This actually happened in a Veep episode. Yes. yes. (laughs) Uh, So that's that's our first takeaway. Yes. Our uh, so yeah that that's an overarching like really important thing to know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The second one is that relationships and reputation really matter Mm -hmm. um we both interned here when we were in college and i did it my junior year of college and if you would have told me then that a decade later i would have still had very similar professional contacts and friendships from that time i would have been kind of surprised um and i'm glad i didn't do anything crazy or stupid as a 21 year old <laughs> on the job because <laughs> that really um mm-hmm. you you would be surprised how how much the stories follow you and your reputation follows it's you true. and um yeah it's kind of in a way a small town like yeah you're kind of six degrees of separation from everyone in your kind of work sphere so um not that there isn't grace and forgiveness right. but your reputation definitely follows you it's a community. Mm-hmm. I think DC, the area too, like there's, it feels like a college campus. Like the mall is very touristy, downtown, very lobby. Then the was Capitol Hill, and like just distinctive communities. And then there's like the progressives and the libertarians and conservatives, and they all know each other. Uh, the third thing, oh, the, <laughs> the notes just says Metro is not cool. <laughs> I remember, yeah, when I first moved here, it was Metro everywhere, and it takes, you know, hour, hour and a half, door to door. How cool is this? You could take the train across yeah. the city. And it's so cheap. But it's actually like, you know, it was like two and a half bucks one way, which adds up. And then there are whole swaths of the city that just aren't reachable on the Metro. Uh, right. So you Metro somewhere and then you have to walk like three quarters of a mile. <laughs> so and I guess when, you know, we're youthful and had all this energy, at least I took the Metro a lot. You had a car. I guess I drove too, but I started taking the bus later just because it was more efficient the metro is actually not that efficient unless you're going to very specific places right right when you first move here metro super cool later i don't think i can even remember the last time i rode the metro i realized like i'm going past the place i want to go to that i have to walk backwards to get to so i might as well just start walking where i am now yeah it's not like new york city the next, what is this, our number four is, um, as time has gone on, I realized that things are a lot more nuanced and they're not so black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, like for example, um, you know, we, we've talked about Taylor and I work in the kind of conservative libertarian policy world and have over the, these 10 years. Mm-hmm. When I first moved here, I think I had beliefs like every regulation is bad, and then I came in. I still have that belief. <laughs> well, I guess, well, see, I've worked <laughs> on the Hill and you have not. 
corrupted. <laughs> so I think when you work <laughs> on legislation, you kind of realize that there are human impacts of policy like that. That is more apparent than in a think tank. Yes, that's true. I so, agree with that. Yeah. So like the regulation thing, um, when we were working on repealing Obamacare as Republicans, which didn't end up happening, a regulation in Obamacare, there was a regulation that said people with pre-existing conditions, you're not allowed to exclude them from health insurance because they have a pre-existing condition. That's a regulation that's part of Obamacare. And I think, yeah, when I first moved here, it would have been just like, well, no, any government imposed thing like this is negative consequences is bad. And now I would say there are certain things, you know, this might be more of a utilitarian thinking, but um, I would say, hey, you know, I think a regulation that says you must issue insurance to people with pre-existing conditions is worth the trade-off of the unintended consequences of such a regulation. But is that the moral role of the state, Rachel? <laughs> yeah, that, I, I don't I, ask that question as much as when I first moved here. <laughs> I mean, I'm more empathetic, certainly, I think, to arguments that I disagree with. Very smart people believe these things with good evidence uh, from genuine beliefs. And it's, it's, I think that's well worth keeping in mind. And I think my time here has brought that way more to the forefront than I think I had uh, when I first showed up. Our next point. There are a lot of excellent churches. D.C., Virginia, Maryland suburbs dc suburbs dc area it's it's kind of overwhelming <laughs> right like a lot of like pastors who've written excellent yeah. books yeah and have amazing teaching and, and they're doing cool things in their neighborhoods and they're in wherever they are they have different flavors and styles and ministries that yeah. are really cool. yeah and they're gosh all, all different sizes um cultures yeah, everything and it's it's I remember i asked uh our pastor of our church once like what would the city do you think would, what would the city be like the area be like if all the churches left like would it be any different mm. he didn't really have a clear answer but there are a lot of them and i think it has to have made make some sort of difference oh yeah and the amount of people who are christians working in public policy politics and related industries service industry there are and, a lot and the congregations of these churches are unique i think from other places in the country because a lot of young people move to dc because they want to make a difference right. and they join these churches right and are part of the congregations and um yeah it just makes it really unique there are a ton of great churches mm -hmm. yeah good point what's the next one number six um now taylor and i have lived through multiple presidential administrations mm-hmm uh, I was here as an intern when President Obama was elected. Oh wow, in oh eight. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. So yeah, we've we've been here during the Obama administrations. Yep. One and two. Um, we've been here during the Trump administration and yep. now the Biden administration. Yep. And so we've seen this kind of change from Republican to Democrat, and how different the city is. Mm -hmm. You know, each administration has a part of the city that they kind of like congregate in. So right. the Trump administration, <laughs> it was this area called Navy Yard and that got really built up. And that's where people lived in apartments, young people lived in apartments and um, more restaurants popped up there and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And 
what was the Obama administration? It was kind of like U Street, 14th Street area. Oh, um, I don't think I knew this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say just around the White House. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you learned something new. <laughs> Is this for real? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Where have you been? I don't know. Taylor lived in the suburbs for a few years of his singlehood, so he missed out on the Western frontier. People would you know, made fun of me, like, oh, I have to drive all the way out. <laughs> well, you didn't know about this city changing. Um, <laughs> Joke's on me. But also, so when administrations change, everything's very teams oriented. You're kind of on the red team or the blue team if you work in politics. And, um, you know, if you're right now, if you're on the blue team, you get invited to all of the events at the White House, like the Christmas decorations and the Easter egg roll and meetings and whatnot. But rarely, if you are a Republican, do you get invited to a Democrat administration's, you know, events and meetings and vice versa. Because I was doing government affairs for four years in an Obama administration. Never once went to any White House executive branch event. Trump administration comes in, government affairs manager for a different think tank, but it's in the same realm. And like, you know, once or twice a month, it was, you know, come over here, we're going to meet with this person. Da, da, da. And like all these people we know, right? We're getting in, in the administration and on staff. And and then Biden administration comes on board and it's crickets. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very red team, blue team. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, next point. Next point. Not everyone is terrible. DC kind of has this, I mean, the House of Cards vibe, right? Uh, even Veep, you know, they're not morally upstanding people. But there are just a number of nice people who volunteer their time to help, you know, people in their neighborhood, people across the world, who just pleasant to be around, who are hospitable, mm-hmm. open their homes for guests and have di- having dinners and parties and yeah, just a lot of really good people we've come across. Networking, maybe this is a good place to talk about just the networking. It's it's very just generous. People you mm-hmm. reach out, and say, hey, I'm looking for a job or whatever, and people will. Spend time forwarding your resume, and it's just kind of this cultural norm, I think, of we've all been there or will be there at some point, so people Mm -hmm. help each other out. And speaking of generous, I mean, I think many people were shocked to see when um, I was in the hospital and became disabled, and all of the costs started adding up. We had this big GoFundMe fundraiser. Probably many of you who are listening donated. Um, And really if you if we were to do like a a pie chart of who donated it would be the people we work with i think like so yeah. massively a lot of people from our hometowns and our church right. and as well but um yes an overwhelming amount of people we knew from know from the work world or even barely knew yes <laughs> yeah that we worked on one project with and yeah just I was just blown away by that of oh you know Very people true. stereotypes about DC being the swamp are really not true there's a lot of really amazing generous mm-hmm. not just good people here yep so the next <laughs> this uh, contradicts that point a little bit my next <laughs> point <laughs> is that um well there are bad people too of course it's a city yeah anywhere a anywhere there's population. good and bad people yeah. the next point is that much of dc is about being a platform um and i'll kind of explain what that means so um 
there are the really great, as Taylor said, people who are helping behind the scenes, helping connect people and being generous. Um, those are the people who I think are institution building, who are concerned about character building. Uh, those are not the people who you see on Fox News or MSNBC, usually mm. as, you know, the the kind of headliners or newsmakers <laughs> not all the time but usually um there there's just a big market here for people to use their hmm. seats in congress or whatever to be platforms for selling books for building a personal following rather than building up a movement towards right. a cause there's just a lot of um platform building so using a congressional hearing to get a youtube clip rather right. than to get right. legislative action um and yeah this and this of course i'm stealing this idea from yuval levin in his book um I, it's not original but it has become my kind of defining political theory lately you do love that <laughs> I do. the talking point it's, it's i think it's accurate the next point Power is temporary. Mm -hmm. I, it's I, this has struck me with just you know the shifting administrations, the shifts in Congress. The <laughs> every once in a while I'll come across, say a senator's name who I used to pay a lot of attention to in 2013, who's retired, and I think, oh yeah, that person. <laughs> And they were really, you know, a senator, for crying out loud. Really powerful. Yeah. Like, at the time, like, maybe ran a committee, had political clout, power, and then just gone. And I think even, you know, how the office buildings on Capitol Hill are named after famous members of Congress, Cannon, Rayburn, mm -hmm. uh, Dirksen. But, I mean, how many people know yeah. <laughs> what they did, necessarily? I mean, they, their name's on a building, and there's statues around the city. And I th often reflect like, oh, there's a statue. I don't know who that is. And they have a statue for crying out loud. <laughs> I'm not going to get a statue. It's just going to, and it's just, you know, mortality kind of settles. Yes. <laughs> but just how temporary power can be. And, you know, even reading that John Boehner book reminded me of that too. Right. Like how you can be the top dog, you know, the speaker of the house. Right. And then the next, you know, you can quickly be deposed. Right. Yep. Um, and yeah. you just go back to mowing your lawn. And not only positions of power, but I remember um, my first internship was at the Heritage Foundation and the founder of the Heritage Foundation, Ed Fulner, had this great quote that in Washington, there are no permanent victories or permanent defeats, just permanent battles. And mm. it really has struck me over the years. It's like, oh, we're fighting this battle again. <laughs> like, I, it feels like it's Groundhog yeah. Day, the same thing over and yep. over. And it was funny when... Um, I was kind of out of commission for a while mm -hmm. in the hospital and recovering and whatnot. You know, I was not checking email or the news for a number of months. And I, maybe like seven, eight months after everything happened, I went back to my first kind of work coalition meeting. And after the meeting ended, <laughs> you kind of go around and everyone gives a good of the order. And I said, well, Good to know you can skip eight months in the workforce and the battles are still the same and we're fighting about the same things and everyone had a good chuckle with that because it was so true. But when you're in it, it's like, I cannot miss any email today. <laughs> right. But then that happens over and over. Yep. It's funny. Last point. Last number 10. point. Number 10. 
all political speeches start sounding the same. Is it like at banquets and yes. we talked a little bit about panel discussions. <laughs> the that, panel industrial complex. Yeah, they don't really happen anywhere else in normal the normal world where you have a group of, you know, two to eight people on a stage <laughs> just talking about a thing. And I've been to, you know, probably hundreds of these probably. events. You probably have too. I don't know. I've probably learned something from maybe 10 of them. <laughs> Oh man, I've probably planned fifty of them in my career. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you go and who's there, and you like have your hushed conversation with someone in the back, and you know whatever. A lot of the same buzzwords. Yes, yes. Constitutional and. But the speeches, right? I mean, we're eating the rubber chicken. Yeah, yeah. We, I think we went through a phase in our life where we probably went to like ten black tie dinners that, yeah, had the same. Uh, Senator speak at seven out of the ten or something that year. <laughs> Stirring remarks that you could probably just, you know, ad lib them. Yep. At a certain point. <laughs> yep. So those were our, our ten thoughts for ten years. And if you want the real spicy ten thoughts, you have to pay for our Patreon. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor was looking at me like, what? Where are you going with this? <laughs> we have that? Where's the money? Uh, that would be a fun list. Was that your joke? <laughs> that was my joke. <laughs> I told him I had a good joke, but I wasn't going to tell him what it was. <laughs> I'm proud of you. All right. Media stinkers and thinkers. All right. My stinker for this week. You're still laughing. I'm glad you thought it was a good joke. My my stinker for this week is that I heard that there's going to be a Friends reunion no. show or even just an episode. I don't know. I didn't even I didn't like the original Friends. I don't think it's that funny. I don't think it's that clever. I don't get it. That's my stinker. That's a good one. Might get a bunch of people riled up. Mine is that book I talked about, The Immortality Key. Oof. Oof. Finally finished it. The whole theory that Christianity was made popular after the death of Jesus by a psychedelic Eucharist. And it wasn't... Meaning like mushrooms. Mushrooms, LSD. Like people were sipping this wine that So you're talking like the AD 60 people were doing mushrooms is his theory? Yes. Like what time period is this supposed to like happen? Like 80s, 40s. I mean, I mean he, he talks about how like there's there's like decent evidence that people were using hallucinogenic mushrooms and such like throughout ancient Greece and Rome, but uh the this theory that like Christianity was made popular by psychedelics. Oh, brother. Uh it turns out that he there is no evidence in this 400-page book, uh just this like Hey, people did this thing a couple times, we think. And then like nine out of 10 experts he asks, they're like, actually, that's, that's kind of a crazy theory. And I don't think it's right. But he's like, but, but people were doing it, man, <laughs> around this time. And so therefore, huh. and he's kind of had this just throughout. I was waiting for him to be explicit about this, but this assumption that it can't really be true that Jesus was the son of God and mm. there's a spiritual realm so it had to be something else. So I think if you're coming at it with that, it's like, okay, mushrooms maybe make sense because there's no evidence for it. You know, it's a minor problem. Uh, right. And it just was, it was frustrating. I gave, I wrote a long review on Goodreads, two stars out of five. 
follow Taylor on Goodreads. <laughs> Thinker, what what is your Thinker? Thinker. I finished also on reading uh, Shelby Foote's three volume Civil War history. Wow, what finished an accomplishment! It. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Started it in December seventeenth, two thousand seventeen. Volume one finished it Sunday, I think. Okay. Volume three. Sweeping narrative is the phrase. Maybe I got that from the jacket cover, some review. Um, an excellent, just blow by blow of all the battles. Uh, it left a lot, though. I, oh, it, it did a great job of explaining the the what and the how of the Civil War, but not the why. Hmm. He glosses over it. There's just there's this part at the end where he talks about Jefferson Davis's imprisonment um, after capture. And he's objecting to being shackled in <laughs> irons. And the author, Shelby Foote, there's just no acknowledgement of like, well, this is what happened to people in the South when they were enslaved. And this is wow. what, you know, they were fighting for. So there wow. was just a complete whiff on that opportunity to yeah, just talk about a- that, you know, just the irony of the leader of the Confederacy complaining about a couple of days of being in irons. That is a, a seemingly a... a recent critique of Shelby foot, right? Is yes. that he kind of does not get at the why, but I guess this is my thinker because it did a great job of the, what and the, the how, hmm. um, very, very readable. I'd recommend it. And I think it's maybe like a foundational for other civil war histories. I want to read more. I'm proud of you. That was a long slog. <laughs> it was multiple years. <laughs> my thinker is not as intellectual. Uh, <laughs> It is a show we've been watching that I was skeptical. I was like, no, Taylor, I don't want to watch that at first. I am loving it. It's a show called Kim's Convenience. Oh, yeah, it is fun. What is that on? Is that on Netflix? Netflix? We're watching it on Netflix. I don't know if it's Netflix exclusive. but It is really excellent. It's funny. It's mm-hmm. adorable. All the characters are really good. It's about a Korean family in Toronto who have a convenience store and... The family members, they are just like really adorable and funny and it's good. It is. It is fun. It is a like Christian aspect. Yes. Like very church-centric. Churchgoers. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it too. That's yeah, a good one. It's good. All right. Well, that was our 10-year anniversary of DC special edition. See you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>